0: Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by ListenNotes.com, so you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau.
1: Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast. We're so blessed that you're joining us today. I have a very important topic for you today, and one that is very near and close to my heart. One which affects me as well as millions of people each and every day, and that is how to cope with chronic pain, be it from an injury, as in my case, or from hereditary diseases or any number of myriad causes. One which many people have a hard time understanding, even very close family members. Online with us today is Barbie Engel from the International Pain Foundation. Barbie's a former model and professional cheerleader. She seemed to have it all and then things changed. Her life became totally focused just on survival. Chronic pain ravaged her body. Doctors had no clue as to why. They stuck, prodded, probed, and examined her numerous times, all sorts of tests, and (laughs) I can relate to that. Then one day, Barbie decided enough was enough, and she became her own chief of staff for her medical team. And I'll let her explain that as we get into the interview. Barbie's been on our program a few times in the past. The information she shares has blessed so many of our listeners, including myself, and I'm sure it'll do the same today as well. She's also the author of several books dealing with this issue, such as From Wheels to Heels, which is the first one I read, getting ready for our first interview way back in 2018. Praise God. Welcome back to the program, Barbie Engel. Barbie, thank you for taking the time to come back on the program today. It's, it's been three or four years since your last interview.
2: It has. I'm so excited to be back. Thank you, Pastor Bob. Thank you for all the ministry that you do and the great works and the lives that you're touching through your podcast. Congratulations on so much success and growth. And I'm so glad to be here with you and your listeners today. Once again, yay.
1: Amen. Yeah. Hallelujah. Shout amen, somebody somewhere. Praise God. Well, we've chatted a few times since the last interview, mainly on Facebook, LinkedIn, things like that. We each had things going on and, and you'd pop in and give me some words of encouragement and vice versa. Our podcast listening audience has grown exponentially since the last time you were on. And for those that may not know about you or your organization, the national, the international pain foundation, tell us in your own words, who is Barbie Engel?
2: Oh, wow. Uh, (laughs) I am so many things. Uh, I do great Uh, works with helping patients get the care that they need through advocating. As you said, for myself, I had to become my own chief of staff. And then I said, this has to help other people as well. So I decided to go out and share it. And it's really something that I believe is my purpose here on earth. So um, who I am is not necessarily tied to what I do. I'm like, bright and bubbly and tenacious and and um, have a lot of I am's, and I am all things through God. On earth, I am also a doer, and as you said, I'm an author, and I am an advocate, and I am a mentor and compassionate, and um, have done many different things in my life, such as modeling and cheerleading. And uh, I continue in the spirit of cheerleading, continue to be a cheerleader of hope and share the the love life and light of Jesus around the world. And I'm getting better and better at it through my advocacy work and through my, my interviews and um, sharing what I do. And I didn't used to talk about my faith a lot. And over the last few years with the pandemic, I began to share a lot more, seeing how important it was to let people know there's great reason for hope. And Amen. and it, it really changes your life in that way.
1: Amen. Amen. And, and I want to backtrack to when you became the chief of staff of your own medical team. You shared this last time, but as I said, we have an entirely new listening audience now. Can you share with us what that phrase means and how you came to implement it?
2: So for me, the chief of staff of my medical team means that I'm active and involved in my medical care and making the decisions and that I don't just rely on the medical doctors to tell me what to do and, and where to go and, and how to, to be the patient, I actively speak up and take control and do research and learn and understand and ask questions. And it all came from me not standing up for myself. I, in the beginning, I didn't know what to say. I would go into doctor's appointments crying, saying, help me, help me. And instead of stepping up and, and, and looking inside myself and seeing what i could do to help me and what i needed to do to get organized uh, i was turning to everybody else and we're all here even doctors say they're practicing medicine mm-hmm. so we're all practicing and we only live once we got to we have to find a way to make it through and i realized every day i wake up is a win every day i have here on earth is a way to fulfill my purpose here on earth and i basically decided it made a Conscious choice to do things differently and to be a team member in my health care, but be the leader of that team, be the chief of staff that was able to answer questions, talk appropriately with my medical providers, get the care that I needed in a timely manner, and without uh speaking up and getting organized and um, and believing in myself and believing in. My purpose here on Earth, I wouldn't have been able to become my own chief of staff it was It was an important step that I needed to take, and I think that all of us have it in us to do so, and you don't just have to rely on what the doctor presents to you. Go and do the research for yourself. You live with yourself every day and know what you need. Try to make it work to make it happen.
1: Amen, amen. you know when I took that advice after our interview back in 2018, uh, you know, I was hearing stuff from the doctors like stop reading all that stuff and watching YouTube videos and all that. Just, we know what we're doing here. We got a procedure we're going through. Did you hear all that as well?
2: I absolutely heard all of that. And um, doctors would be like, don't be, don't be a doctor. Don't be Google Barbie. I'm like, I am the expert. of <laughs> Don't be Google Barbie. I am the expert of me. I am the person who is responsible for me day in and day out, just like you are. And so the doctors have to work a little bit harder when the patient is smarter. So, (laughs) (laughs) so they, they expect you to be in there for 15 minutes. Well, get smart about your 15 minutes, get organized about what you're going to go in and talk about, get smart about what is important to you. What do you need out of this appointment? And be researched, be prepared so that you can go in and and get what you need done in a short amount of time. Or if you know, going into it, hey, I did this research. I'm going to talk to my doctor about these things coming down the pipeline that I heard about a clinical trial, or I heard something just came to market. What's available for me? I've been doing the same thing for five years and I'm maintaining, but I'm not getting better. Is there something new? These are conversations that we need to have with our providers, but they don't always like us to have. Because they're trying to get to the next patient and to the next patient. Because that's how healthcare is designed. It's Mm -hmm. designed and working exactly the way they created it, which is poorly. And until the system is redone, we have to go and research and be our own best advocate and get the to get the care that we need in a timely manner and not make mistakes that set us back and cause further damage.
1: Yeah. Amen. Amen. And if you're prepared with questions when you go in. That kind of puts the doctor on the spot, too, and you know makes it, him start thinking maybe a little deeper.
2: Yes, it does. And I've had times where I've gone in and the doctor said, I don't know anything about that. And a month later, I go in for my next appointment, and all of a sudden, they're an expert, and they went back and researched it and yeah. learned something. And they're not just able yeah. to help me a little bit better. They're able to help their other patients a little bit better because of something that I brought up in a conversation with them. Yeah. And again, that I knew nothing, I know nothing. And then the next month, all of a sudden they're an expert.
1: Amen. Amen. That that reminds me, you know, with my own condition, you know, the last time we spoke, I had just really taken this idea concerning my own health <clears throat> and I, you know, I had severe neuropathy and pain going down both legs. I mean, I had, and still have about 90% loss of feeling in my feet Other than being cold all the time, it feels like. And I was also poked and prodded and examined numerous times. And I mean, numerous times by numerous specialists of all genres. And they're trying to figure out why nobody knew. And after talking to you, you know, I decided, you know what? I'm not going to go to, you know, Joe Schmo down here and he's going to send me to his buddy over here. I reached out to the top neurologist at the Johns Hopkins university here in Baltimore. I mean, this is the guy who's over all neurology Neurology. throughout Johns Hopkins. Right. And he hand selects his patients and I, that's how good he is. And I had to submit all of my medical records, the tests, everything to him to review. It took about two months later, I received a phone call from his office and he had agreed to see me as a patient, you know, and that was, The week after the last time we had our interview, our last interview, right? And uh, well, long story short, he also did several tests over a couple months. And I went back for the last follow-up and he said, I don't know why you're having these issues. I don't know. He said, you know, so much for medical technology, right? But then he explained that he was running a research program for these very symptoms and wondered if I would agree to become a participant, you know, and he'd draw some blood samples and and it'd all be entered into a database with others. And over the course of years, he and others would be trying to find something in common that could be causing these symptoms. It was a blind study. He said, I would never find out the results of the research I just become a number in the system. He wouldn't even know who I was after my information was entered into the system. And he said, You'll probably never receive any results from this or any help from this research, but you'll be helping other people 10 years down the road, you know. So I agreed and they sent me an appointment to come back as it had to be a fasting blood test. I went back in and they took 23 vials of blood, right? They wheeled this cart in. And I said, Oh no, (laughs) 23 vials of blood and uh, true to his word. I've never heard back from him since, you know, and still have the issues going on, you know, but that, you know, at least I'm, I was so unique. They wanted to enter me into the research. (laughs) Yes,
2: And and you're like, I don't think, I don't know if I want to be a guinea pig, but as you said, you're helping society and humanity for, for a lifetime to come. And, you know, I do hope that they are able to take your data and, and, uh, use, um, artificial intelligence and, and put it together in the computer and mash all the data and come up with something that they can find and be helpful. I was helping a patient a couple months ago and, um, he has the same medical condition I do and, um, saw a brand new doctor that was never on anybody's radar and uh, the doctor said, look, I know nothing about what you're going through, but I want to run every test that I can and see what we find and see if I can find something that another expert in this area missed. And he actually found something. Wow. And now yeah. we're working to put a clinical trial together to look at this specific thing in the blood yeah. to find out if, Uh, this is something we could build a treatment around and, and do um, better diagnosing, easier diagnosing, but it was a doctor that had fresh eyes that never knew this patient. And this was their first patient with reflex sympathetic dystrophy. And he just was thinking outside the box and looking outside the box. And sometimes that's what it takes to to create something for other people. It might help us in our lifetime, but if it doesn't, that might not have been the purpose of it. The purpose mm-hmm. of 23 vials of blood from you could be to to help a million people in the future yeah. get through the symptoms that you're uh, struggling with and challenged with now.
1: Yeah, amen. And, and you know, for privacy reasons, you don't have to go into all this detail, but how are you doing? Because I know you're still having some issues with your pain and your health.
2: Yeah, I, I still live with pain, although I do have some treatments that help me manage it. I also, um, right before the, the pandemic started, I developed a condition called Valley fever. That is a common thing down here in the Southwest of the United States, but, uh, it's considered a rare disease and there's one medication on earth to treat it. And I happen to be allergic to that medication. Oh my. So my body's trying to fight it on its own. Um, I had a, a 20 millimeter mass on my lung. Which I already, if you if you listen to the the past episodes, I um, already had troubles with my lungs, um, and uh, this just added to it. But I've been able to get the mass from twenty millimeters down to six millimeters.
1: Praise the Lord. Amen. And
2: yeah, so so it is doing better. Um, I had a mass grow in my abdomen and one grow in my throat um, because I was allergic to this medication, or that's what we're kind of correlating it back. Um, the one in my stomach, um, I, I was prayed over a few times <laughs> and the one in my stomach miraculously disappeared. Crazy and, God. um, the one in my throat, uh, was just staying the same up until about two months ago. And it started growing and, um, I am having surgery at the end of this month to have mm-hmm. it removed. And mm-hmm. while they're doing that, they're going to do a new treatment um, to my tonsils. And um, they're going to shape instead of removing them, which they do with a lot of children, um, they are going to sh- to reshape them. Mm. So there's not the crevices and divots for infections and bacteria and things to um, get caught up in. So hopefully I will get sick a lot less often. Because of reflex sympathetic dystrophy, my immune system is compromised. Mm. So going through COVID you know, with not me personally, but the world (laughs) going through COVID, I was very isolated and um, was socially distant from other people. And um, they're hopefully shaping my tonsils and removing the mass in my, in my throat um, will help to uh, let me be less sick and um, get, maybe get the Valley fever the rest of the way out of my body.
1: Yeah. Amen. Yeah. That COVID was, when when they first announced the shutdowns, my wife didn't go out of the house for almost four months because of her compromised immune system. Yeah. You know, and and I would go out, and I'd be it looked like I was in you know in the military. They call it MOP four. You know, protective mode and stuff. And because yeah. I would go out, I'd have gloves on, mask on, and and when I went in the grocery store and got what I needed, I found out something though. What? when the COVID thing was going on and you know, the aisles are crowded because everybody's trying to stay away from each other. So you couldn't get to the canned goods and all this stuff. If you coughed, everybody cleared out the aisle.
2: <laughs> That's awesome.
1: I, I, <clears throat> like that. Like, <laughs> oh, oh. I was, oh, thank you. Got what I needed. Yeah,
2: Now I can get what I need. Right. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I um, didn't, I felt like the rest of the world joined me because I was already uh, pretty isolated. Um, And I felt like the world joined me in isolation and um, you know, yeah, yeah, they were more empathetic to what patients that are chronically ill go through. And, um, and I didn't go out in in public for a a long time either. And I still, work really hard to stay isolated when I go out, as you said, you know, everything covered. Um, and, uh, when I would get home, I would just go straight to the laundry room and strip down and put everything in the wash machine and wash it and clean it. So I wouldn't track it through the house and, and, um, That's the exact same thing I did. Yep. Yeah. Very, very cautious. And, uh, my husband was as well. And then, um, and he, he actually got COVID in November and um, mm. his dad got COVID and his dad, unfortunately passed away mm. uh, because he had emphysema and um, then he got pneumonia and yeah. it, with the COVID, he got COVID pneumonia and he did, his body couldn't fight it. Um, my husband went and stayed at his house, at his dad's house um, Cause he was caregiving for both of us um, at the time. So we knew he was exposed. So he stayed there for about three weeks so that I would be okay and, and not get it. And that worked. Yeah. And then in January of this year, we started like easing up a little bit. And he went into the post office in the grocery store on the same day um, but we had been isolated up to that point And then after that point, so we kind of isolated it too. He either got COVID at the post office or the grocery store yeah. and, um, I, we didn't know. And, and I got exposed and, uh, and went through COVID, but I didn't do too bad. I, I mean, it did, it wasn't great. Right. Um, but I went through it within three days the, at four 30 mm. in the morning, I called my doctor. Something's wrong. <laughs> I have COVID without even having a test. I knew it, it, it felt different than anything else yeah. I've experienced. And I've gone through a lot medically. Yeah. So, um, but he jumped right on it, got me medications. I was on two medications and then got monoclonal antibodies. And within 23 hours of monoclonal antibodies, I was testing negative and felt fine.
1: Praise the Lord. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Chief physician of your own body. Yeah,
2: absolutely. <laughs> and
1: we yeah. had
2: prepared for two years. My, yeah. my, my doctor and I, my head doctor, um, we prepared for two years. If I, he said one day you will get it, but let's prolong it as far as possible Yeah, and call me immediately as soon as you have a symptom. And that's what we did. And we had a plan in place and jumped on it and Amen. Uh, it, it could have gone much worse. Uh, but it, it went pretty good for me. Comparing amen. to what a lot of other chronically ill patients have gone through with COVID.
1: Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I know your situation is a lot worse than mine, but just to catch you up is why I wanted to, do, to demonstrate to our listeners that you're not alone in this, folks. Nope. All of us are having issues. I mean, you can be the biggest faith believer out there, and these bodies are still flesh and bone that have issues that sometimes go awry. I mean, only you can decide when enough is enough. And that there's a reason, as Barbie alluded to before, that doctors call their business a medical practice, right? Because they're not experts, they're practicing. Well, let's try this and see what happens. And, oh, that didn't work out well. You got, he was sicker. Let's try this. That's why it's a practice. Barbie, I know you experienced this as well, because I know I have. How should a person react when they get that look from a physician, like they don't really don't believe them concerning the, the pain that they're experiencing. You know, they, they think that we're hypochondriacs or something.
2: Yeah. Uh, sorry about that. like layer. I don't know where, where that's coming from. I, um, <laughs> I, I, but, um, it disappeared. <laughs> um, oh goodness. So how, how should a patient react when yeah. they get what from their physician you know, when,
1: when when they get that look like you know yeah okay yeah, the pain can't be that bad you know like, yeah what's your pain well, level? nine yeah okay <laughs> right you
2: know right so for me i accept that they don't accept it and i'm willing to um ask them to work with me to do better <laughs> and to to um sorry that that light is just wow uh I don't know where that's coming All
1: right, from. it's an audio podcast so
2: oh well, okay great uh, just for the, nobody can the, see how
1: beautiful you are except me right now
2: so. the the the, the um, heavens have shined a light upon me that's right um, yeah. it's coming from nowhere it's the so glory
1: radiating from your body
2: it is it is my inner glow has decided that's to right. appear. um <laughs> So, so I try to first work with the doctor, but if, if I see that the doctor is just, no, or a nurse practitioner, whoever the health professional that's in front of me is not willing to, to learn, listen, and understand what I'm going through, I will, I will leave the situation. I will find a provider who can be a part of my team and w- is willing to work with my chronic care team for this acute issue. And that's when it works out the best. And I know it's hard and I, it's way easier said than done. The first time I did this, I kept looking back over my shoulder, thinking the hospital security is going to come and get me on a 5150 hold, which is a psychiatric hold, because I'm literally, this hospital, this doctor is not listening to me or understanding. And I need to get help. So I'm going to go to a different hospital. Mm-hmm. And I left the hospital looking back going, please don't come and tackle me. I'm already in enough pain, but, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and there's been times when I've had, uh, kidney stones and I've got off my bed and started crawling down the hall. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, you've said, you're not going to help me. I know that you are not offering me the help that I need. So I am going to, go get the help that I need. You have to be willing to, unless you're in a situation where you could die, go get the help you need. And it's not always the professional in front of you, but give them a chance to listen and understand. And they might not believe you at first that your pain's a nine out of 10, because a lot of times as a chronic pain patient, you learn how to adjust. You learn how to smile through the pain. It's like a cheerleader when your football team's losing 50 to zero and you're down there smiling and cheering and still trying to get the crowd to cheer you, cheer on the football players. You're like, you have a hope and it might be the smallest hope in, in the world, but it's a glimmer of hope. And that's all that you need to get through. Take that hope and use it to guide you and to get the help and ho- and, and resources that you need to Get the care that you need. Don't stop at a no. No is the beginning of a negotiation. And it's time to negotiate, talk it through. If it gets to a point where the negotiations fail and you're not able to get what you need, move on. There's other providers. There's providers that can help you. You just have to find the right one. And it could take a little bit of effort and work and and time. But that's part of being your own advocate and stepping up.
1: Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, tell us about the International Pain Foundation that you started.
2: Sure. So we are still going um, 15 years strong, and we are doing education for patients, caregivers, and providers, awareness for the public to plant seeds to help them grow into trees when they need them. They might not necessarily need our resources now, but at one point, or another in their life or in a family member or friend's life, they might need to turn to us. Mm -hmm. We do social events because a lot of times patients isolate. Although during the pandemic, we had to remodel and uh, reconfigure our plan. You know, we might be on plan ABZ and ABZ and 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 then we do access to care, which is peer to peer mentoring and working on legislation. Which we've actually uh, written this le- past legislative session. We actually wrote or helped co write uh, two bills, and um, one has passed and our governor signed it into law here in Arizona Praise to help chronic Praise pain school. patients. Amen. And the other the other one should pass the next few weeks. And we're we're really just working. At, State by state, because healthcare is dealt with mostly state by state as to what the laws are. So um, we're we're working to get the laws we need for the chronically ill, and that's under our access to care programs.
1: Amen. Hey folks, Pastor Bob here. We're all out of time for this, today's portion of this great interview with Barbie Engel. Barbie is a great friend of, of the ministry and, and personal friend that, that we've known for, gosh, four or five years now, I guess. And she's the founder of the International Pain Foundation. And she's here to help you. Okay. They will provide you with the resources to learn more about any conditions and ailments that you have, your family members may have. They'll provide you with the resources where you can get some help. They'll provide you with the resources to find someone you can talk to. They are here for you. Just go down in the show notes, click the link right there to the International Pain Foundation, and get in touch with Barbie Engel and her team right now. But I got good news for you. This is just part one of a great two-part interview, and we'll be back with the next episode and the conclusion of this interview with Barbie Engel. Till then, this pastor Bob reminding you: be blessed in all that you do.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published.